welcome to another episode of Games in Schools and Libraries. I'm Donald Dennis. You can find me all over the internet as Wallsview. I am here today with Chris Bell, my co-host. Hello. Hey, Chris. Have we worked out your branding issues yet? Um, not at all. Not at all. Okay. Well, uh, we'll we'll figure out where you can find Chris <laughs> on the internet by next episode. I promise. Yes. <laughs> oh, the best lies. All right. So uh, we have uh, now recovered from ShushCon. We are about to have to recover from summertime, summertime, summertime. And, of course, I will be at ALA this summer, and I'll be attending the ALA play and going to any of the games and gaming uh, activities that are happening up here in D.C. So if you're going to be there and you're there for that, uh, look me up. You can find me once again as Walsfio on Twitter and wherever else. And I'm going to try and set up some escape rooms. So find me there. Come play games. Let's do some escape rooms. And also, I'd love to get you on microphone so that you can talk about your experiences of games and libraries. Anyway, Chris. Yes. What are we going to do today? Um, we're going to talk about Shushcon games. More specifically, the games that we know and played and got donated to us during ShushCon. Right. So uh, we had some wonderful publishers get with us and, t- and donate some games. And I don't know how many of these we've previously talked about because I've slept since then. <laughs> and, uh, but it, we'd love to give a little nod to the wonderful publishers who support us. And especially if we think that they're games that you may like. So let's start with uh, some role-playing games that we've talked about a whole bunch so we won't have to go into too much detail, but just to get us a little running start at it. And that is Fate and Fate Accelerated. The fine folks at Evil Hat saw how many Fate games we were running and how excited we were about their game system. And so they sent us a collection of their stuff to hand out. Yes, a couple of Fate Accelerated books and I think a bunch of dice. Right. They said, oh, yeah, they sent us some Fate dice. They sent us like five or six of the Fate Accelerated books which is honestly the best introduction for role-playing that you can get. Absolutely. Even if you go purchase them, they're like five bucks a piece at your local game store. And they also, I think, sent us uh, two of their source books, like an Atomic Robo and a Monster of the Week kind of thing, Mm -hmm. which obviously we didn't get to go through. Um, What else? Oh, and they sent us one of their Bubble Gumshoe books, which we bought for here in the library a while back. So we have that here already, so we were pleased to give that away at the con as well as uh, the other Fate-related products. And it was just nice to have a publisher appreciate how much we appreciate them. Yes, it was very uh, nice to feel our appreciation appreciated. (laughs) (laughs) Every year so far, Fate has been one of the most run games that is not what you would call the pillar of the role-playing game community, like a Pathfinder or a D&D. Yep. And in fact, we usually have more Fate games make than our D&D sessions. Yes, so. and uh, though we've talked about it a lot and just mentioned, the reason it always makes, it's easy. Um, that That's the biggest reason. It's very easy to run. It's very easy to play. It's easy if you don't know what you're doing. It's even easier if you do. Um, it is a great system, especially for new players. And is deep enough for experienced players to get something out of it, too. Right. And they have the two versions, the accelerated, which is the light version, and the full version. And honestly, I've run some amazing, just generic Fate Accelerated stuff without worrying about all the crunch. And it's tough to refer to crunch, which in gaming parlance means heavy mechanisms, that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. 
uh, when referring to anything fate related because none of it is too terribly difficult. Uh, exactly. Because they're all focused on story and story elements and setting elements and that kind of stuff where the players get to contribute a little bit. The GM is sort of provides the backbone and, and it works very well. But mm-hmm. we have talked about fate previously on, on other episodes. So I think it's time for us to move on. Get a little excited about something. Absolutely. What are we going to talk about next? Uh, let's talk about three cheers for Master. Hurrah! Yay! Which I don't know if we reviewed that on the show before. I know I reviewed it on on board games. I don't know. Uh, we did play that one before Shushcon. Right. That way we could show it off at the con, or some yes, of the kids it, there could play it. It was one of the earlier um, Shushcon games that we got. Right. Uh, so we may have talked about it. Uh, but just in case we haven't, in Three Cheers for Master, you are commanding a group of minions who are... Your master's been depressed and sad lately, and when he gets depressed and sad, he tends to murder a lot of minions. So you're trying to get your minions to be very excited and cheer on master and, and get him out of his funk, and you're building towers of minions like a cheerleader squad to try and get him happy and to be the happiest master of all. Because that's what makes him happy. Right. Un- Fortunately, your minions don't like being stacked up. Nor um, are they very good at it. No. They tend to eat each other a lot. Right. It's like, oh, this one's next to that guy, and, and he hates anybody who's on his left, so he's going to eat him. Yes. This guy falls like a rock. <laughs> so, <laughs> he, is, he is very heavy. <laughs> um, and, and that kind of stuff. So it's a very take-that game where you are, like I said, building um, out left and right and up to get your minions and the higher your tower goes the more points you're going to get for whatever's on that highest spot yeah and but on the other hand if you build up a very thin tall tower then it's easier for people to knock it down and cause you more trouble and it's not you're not physically building vertically like a tower of cards you are laying them flat on the table so yes um, it's and if you like take that game where it's like i do something against chris and if he's not prepared for it He's got bad stuff that happens to him, or he can, you know, respond in kind and then attack my guys on his turn. Then it's it's neat, and a lot of the, you know, tweens and teens like the ability to play some games with a little bit of aggression like that. And so it was it was pretty popular here in the room. I think it went away in our play to win. Yes, I don't think we have that one anymore. But while we had it, uh, the kids enjoyed it, and they were real excited too. Actually, it was one of the most played for. I think games in the play to win yes so um it's not really my kind of game but one of my favorite of the take that games just because the art is so fun and clever Mm -hmm. and and whatnot but very good game and then oh no i'm sorry i was wrong this next one cursed court (laughs) was our most popular of all the games that was was on on the list and it's popular because we've had it here in the library for two years and we love it. And we love it. And so we talked talked it up and people played it several times over the course of the game of the con. Yes. Um and uh so Curse Court is basically oh, think of it as Texas Hold'em with a map. Yeah, basically. And you're trying to get the best hand, but the hands are what you bet on. So it's like, oh, I'm betting that the guys in the corners here are in the game so many times or that they're all in the game because there's hidden cards. Hmm. You explain it. Okay, sure. Um, so you have a map of 
all the characters that are on the cards. There's nine of them. They're in a three by three grid. You're betting on which groups are in the game, maybe the top row or the middle column or diagonally or something. There's set bets that you make. Um, the There's a public pool of cards, I think four, maybe. Um, and then everyone else has one card, except that you share your card with the person beside you. So uh, every two people have a card. It's kind of neat. Uh, if you double someone's bet, you knock them off. Uh, you only have so many coins to play every round. Um, and you gain points for your bets that were correct, basically. Right. And so it's it's neat because you've got little bluffing. It's like people will place bets out on the board to try and get other people to kick them off and throw on more things. Because mm-hmm. if I've bet on this one that says, ooh, all four corners are in the game, then Chris is like, oh, Donald must know something because I'm seeing two of the corners. So he has to double my bet to kick me off of that spot. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, I haven't seen any evidence that any of the corners are in the game. So <laughs> odds are not all of them are. Then, then I've all of a sudden tricked Chris into wasting a bunch of tokens until somebody spoils it. And then, of course, when you flip over the what would be like the river cards in um, Texas Hold'em, in Texas Hold'em, well, that has no effect on what's on the board. But if you bet how many of each given card are in the game, that might give somebody a lot of extra points that way. Absolutely, because you know they um, bet on hey, a bunch of these people are in the game. Yeah, so. Uh, we may not be giving it justice with the way we're talking about it. Um, so I will say this every time I've played it, um, I've pretty much died laughing. Uh, it is a glorious game. Yeah. It's, it is more than the sum of its parts, but you got to be careful because the little crown pieces that you have to put on top of your bets are murderously sharp. I'm glad I was wearing glasses that game. Yes. (laughs) Somebody uh, tossed Chris's crown back to him and. And it bounced off his glasses. That could have gone horribly wrong. <laughs> right. So, yeah. Three cheers for Master and Curse Court, both from Atlas Games. Uh, hooray. All right. So, let's talk about another game that we've both sort of seen, but neither one has played all the way through. Just to give it a nod while we're here in, in yes. this space. Uh, Rinfair is what Donald's talking about. Um, it's a... Uh... Actually, let's, let's do Gloom and Space first. We mentioned Gloom and Space last yes. time. Give a quick summary on Gloom and Space. Gloom and Space is Gloom, the game, in with a space theme. Uh, Gloom is a game where you have a character, you're trying to make them miserable, and then kill them. Um, as for why, it's just because that's the game. But um, the neat thing is, all the cards you place on top of your character are clear, um, save for a little text at the bottom and some bubbles on the side with numbers in them. Um, so as you lay cards down on top of your person or on top of other people's um, characters, uh, the numbers get covered up. Whatever number's showing on top is uh, your score. So it's it's very neat cards, um, and the way you play it is really cool because you'll have a stack on top of your character. You can still see the character through the cards, and then even if you have say twenty cards on your character, the top three will be relevant. Probably, yeah. I mean, yeah. there's a chance that some of the other ones might not be covered up, but yeah. if people are playing that many cards on you, they're usually trying to cover the devalue numbers. your cards. Yeah. So, right. And so that is Gloom and Space. And the reason we want to mention it first is because it's got those transparent cards. Yes. Also, it's from Atlas Games. And Rinfair, which we're going to be talking about now, is also from 
Atlas games and has the transparent cards. Yes. But it's a little different. It um, is. Um, it's a nicer game. You are trying to dress up a person for the Ren Fair. Um, try to give them some kind of costume. And you get points based on if your costumes match, um, which is... Uh, you discern that by symbols in the corners and stuff like that. Um, and then just how valuable a piece is, it'll give you more points. Uh, the neat little twist of the game is the text at the bottom has you do different silly things. Right. It, basically, you're doing stupid party game tricks. Yes. You know, so you might have to play with one hand on your head or you might have to sing everything you say. Mm -hmm. I don't know what all of them are. All I know is it's not within my comfort zone, so <laughs> I didn't actually play for an entire game. I was unfortunately called away by convention duties. Um, mm, sacrifices. Yeah, that has to be made sometimes. Um, and so there are players who will really like it. I am a yes. big fan of Renaissance festivals. Mm -hmm. So I thought, hey, Ren Fair, that sounds like my kind of thing. Uh, but then it sort of took a turn from my preferences but if you like games where you are sort of forced to do party tricks, then then it may be for you. So for the kids, it's probably a great game. Um, but it was played to win and won. Yes. And the person who got it seemed really excited by it. So that's, I guess, a thing. Absolutely. All right. So let's talk about some stuff from our friends over at uh, Smirk and Laughter slash Smirk and Dagger Games. And uh, that's Koi. Yes, Koi. Um, Koi is a game where you are fish who are trying to be fat and happy, uh, eating all of the bugs yeah. on the pond. And it is a beautiful game. It, the artwork is absolutely amazing. The pieces are amazing. Um, it is a very beautiful game. It is. Uh, and so on your turn, you've got cards and you have actions that you can take. And the actions that you can take are, you know, draw extra cards or trade in cards, rather. And you'll be trading in for fewer cards. You can play as many cards as you want from your hand. Um, and those that might allow you to put other rocks in the pond, have flowers, uh, you know, land in the pond, which makes all the dragonflies move away from where they are. Mm -hmm. um, and if you, you know, if a frog is facing it where a dragonfly is, it's going to eat that dragonfly. Uh, and your cards is going to be like turn left, move, move, turn right, jump. And yep. that card may have some of the things where they're all you have to do them all or where some of them you don't have to do them. Uh, yep. So it could be all, oh, everything on this card is optional. Or it could be, hey, you have to do all six things or, or both of the <laughs> things that are on this card because there's a wide variety of action. Selections. Oh, yeah. It's a, a neat game. Um it plays with up to four players. Uh, I think it definitely plays better with more players because then you're running into each other and messing up each other's movements a lot more often, and it becomes kind of more entertaining to play right. that way. Yes, I thought it was a, a, a pretty darn good game, no matter what the player count, because I've played mm -hmm. it, I think, a little bit more than you have. That's true. But uh, that the board feels awfully big and loose with just two players, even though they shrink it. And it's yeah. a significant, uh, significantly smaller size with just two players. Uh, you're not interacting with things as much. It's easier to not do so, rather. Yes. Um, which makes it purely a by-the-numbers tactical game as opposed to a, oh, the vagaries of chaos. And now the other neat thing is that after everybody's done all of their turns, 
you're going to flip over a weather events card or something. Mm-hmm. And also, if you have eaten all the dragonflies off the board, then there's like sort of a little flood that's going to add a whole bunch more back. So they've dealt with all the elements like, oh, there's nothing for me to do. That's not going to be the case, you know, for multiple turns in a row. Exactly. Unless you're just bad at the game. Um, I mean, yes, it's always possible to <laughs> lock yourself on a corner. Um, so that's Koi. And, oh, my gosh, it's beautiful. And it, it's, it's an eye-catching game. It's got some good table presence. Mm. And also, uh, it's pretty fun. It is. Absolutely. Now, I know that we don't have it on the list, but we are burning through these pretty quick. Uh, did we want to talk about Nevermore, which I don't think was a Shushcon game, but it's another Smirk and Laughter game? We can, though I think this one is under their name, Smirk and Dagger. Ah, Smirk um, and Dagger. Well, that makes a little bit of sense. It does. Um, and it's also a kind of a good-looking game, though it's all cards. It is all cards. Um, Nevermore is a trick-taking game. Or, uh, no, not a trick taking yeah, game. Well, it starts off with a draft. You've got cards. You're going to keep, what, two of them and pass yeah, the, you, the other three to the next, right? Yeah. And then you get all those cards into your hand, and you're going to pass two of them, and then you're going to have all those cards in your hand that you've gotten, and then you're going to pass one of them. Yes. And it can be cards that you have in your hand, Right. Yes. Versus just the ones that were passed to you. Yes. So. Uh, every time you are able to choose from all five cards in your hand. Um, it. I guess the best way to describe it, it's almost a hate draft game. Um, <laughs> you are trying to get as many of a set of cards as you can while simultaneously trying to make sure the person you're passing to can't get any. Right. Right. And so some of the cards, there's a uh, thing called the Raven, right? Yes. Um, and if you get a full handful of ravens, it's kind of like shooting the moon where you get super powered. Yes. But if you get less than a whole full hand of ravens, then those are going to, they're going to steal your other cards when it comes time to play them. Exactly. They eat your other cards and they become terrible. The other element is that each one of the cards has its own ability. And uh, as you go through the turns, they don't always come out in the same order. So it might be like, hey, the cards that give you points come up first. Mm-hmm. So the ravens will eat your eat your points, or the cards that give you good spells or bad spells are going to come up first, and so those will be eaten by the ravens or what have you. Yeah. Uh, also, it's whoever has the most of them is going to get the difference between whatever the number of this is, uh, the next highest value. So if I had five points, but Chris had four points, I will get one, one point. Yes. Whereas if I had five points and everybody else's points are eaten by ravens, I get all those. Absolutely. And the same with the number of good magic cards or the number of bad magic cards, that kind of stuff. Yes. So, so actually, as bad ma- magic cards is the number of ravens you have left over, right? Right. And he's saying bad magic cards, they're dark magic. Um, they are the better version. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because you are taking a bigger risk to get. Oh, them. absolutely. Yeah. So. Anyway, so it's a neat game. We have played it here in the room a few times. Um, yes, people seem to enjoy it. I thought it was a very neat game. Um, I like the artwork on it. Um, I kind of just like the theme of it, the whole Nevermore Ravens theme. So that's uh, from Smirk and Dagger, which is Smirk and Laughter's other imprint. Or vice versa, actually. It started as Smirk and Dagger because they made a lot of mean, hateful games. <laughs> and then they're like... <laughs> You know, we should make games that people can play with their families and no one actually pulls out a knife. <laughs> and then came Koi. Koi. 
All right, so um, uh, Daily Magic Games, I believe, sent us Merchants of Araby. Yes. Um, what, what is Merchants of Araby? It's kind of a unique game. Um, it's a system I haven't seen used, really. Um, you get a card that is your goods that you're trying to sell, or your cart, I believe. Um, and you're basically trying to fill up columns or rows on your cart so you can sell it off and get points. These are the contracts that you are trying to fill. Uh, yes. Uh, the neat systems is that you don't need to be the only one on your cart. Um, you may need other people to help fill it up so you can sell it. So you're going to bargain with other people for a slot on your uh, stall, which mm. may be worth money to you or to them, depending on how your cart fills up. Right. So if I'm looking at Chris's card and he has a row and a column that are both needing things right yeah it's like oh this one spot here will fill up and give you access to a lot more stuff Mm -hmm. what will you pay me to come onto your card absolutely whereas most of the time it's going to be hey chris i'd really like to put my thing on your card because i need my camel to uh deliver this thing so i can get some points because whatever you fill up each different row on that card each icon on that road is going to row is going to be worth a given a number of points right and so rarely am, is Chris actually going to pay me to fill up his card. Though occasionally, it might happen. Right. If I just can't fill it up in the exact right way, um, I might need to make somebody fill it up for me. Because every turn you are trying to have filled out one of these contracts. Yes. And they, if you uh, don't have it filled by turn. the time it gets around to you, you lose that whole contract. Yes. Um, other than that, it is kind of an engine builder um, with this money that you're making off your contracts and such. Um, you're b- trying to buy new cards so that you can get goods easier or generate them more often or generate powers that let you do weird things. Right. comes in a neat box. The playmat is the box cover that you unfold from around the box. Yep. That's really neat. It looks beautiful. It's it does not play as well with fewer people as it does with more people. I think the interactions and the more turns there are between your turns uh, is a huge advantage to making the game fun. Absolutely. It's one of the, one of the few games where I say, you know, you need to play with more than three players to make this a good game at least. And, you know, go up to full, full player count on that. I like it. I don't think it's going to get to a table as much as I would like it to do so. No. And that is partially, because of the player number it just it really does not work with a fewer number of players there's just not enough going on Mm -hmm. and it's not real intuitive on your turn basically you're going to get to take a take a card from the center and then do and then do things with your pieces and, and and run your engine basically it's an engine building game yeah so well all right uh between two castles of Mad King Ludwig. That, I believe, is uh, Stonemeyer Games. At least it's got their logo on it. And the Between Two Castles of Mad King Ludwig is what, Chris? Um, it is a Between Two Castles game um, skinned with Mad King Ludwig. Um, between Two Castles, uh, you and your partner beside of you on your left and right are mm. trying to build castles. Mm-hmm. Um, so you are building a castle with the person on your left and a castle with the person on your right. You will all everyone at the table gets a set of tiles nine. I think you start with or some you, you number. Get, you get a handful of tiles. Um, you pick one that goes to your left and one that goes to your right. Everyone places them face down. Then you pass off your stack to the left or right, depending on where you're at in the game. Um, everyone flips them over and you confer with your 
uh, fellow castle builders about where to put your tiles. Uh, and you gain bonuses, like a tile might gain more points if it's next to a specific other tile, or certain tiles want you to have more of it than another kind, or they all have their own gimmicks for how they score, but you're trying to build the best castle. Uh, the neat little mechanic is you score the lowest of your two castles. Mm-hmm. So you are forced to keep them both at a reasonably high level. Uh, if you just tank one castle to make the other one a lot more amazing, well, that's too bad. Your worst castle is your score. Right. Yeah, you can't tank one and hope the other one takes off. Yes, you really got to work together. So. Which, you know, this is kind of a, an old Kinesia artifact, which is if you're scoring multiple things, your score is the lowest of all those things. Hmm. Because he likes, oh, you're collecting four colors of cubes or what have you. And whatever your least is, is your score. So it's a sort of a balancing mechanism uh, yeah. that, that works, I think, very well. Now, obviously, this is not a two-player game because no. uh, it would be like, oh, look, we both score our highest or our lowest castle, which is the one on my right and the one on your left. It's the same castle we tie. <laughs> um, now, and the tiebreaker, of course, is your second castle. Yes. If you end up tying, it's whatever your highest castle is. So. Right. So... Uh, the, the most spectacular thing about this game, and it is fun, and it's a nice game, and I like it, but is the box insert. Yes. It has the most amazing box insert I've seen come with a game. So if you're looking for a game that plays up to nine players. Seven. I said I'm I thought it was You're nine. right. Yes. The, this is not the game. Uh, no, if you're looking for a game <laughs> that plays up to seven players that works well where you feel like you're sort of working with the players on either side of you. Then, then it's a great game. I think that it's perfectly fine at four players because when you get above four players, you're really not playing with the other players at the table, right? I mean, that's kind of true. Um, though, in my opinion, um, I don't necessarily agree with that. I still think it works uh, with more players because you're still playing with the person on your left and your right. You're still trying to build the best Right, but you're not you playing can. at all. You're effectively not interacting with the other you know, players way across the side. Not necessarily, but you're still interacting with the same amount of players. Right. Um, and if everybody's going quickly or, you know, at a reasonable pace, it's not slowed down by having more players. No, it's reasonably the same speed across the board. So I, I don't think it's really helped or hurt by having more than four players. That's fair. But it can do more. So if you've got that group of players who, oh, we all have to play the same game, that's the one you can play. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, hmm. but yeah, so very popular uh, here locally. We didn't even play our copy, uh, that was donated for Shushcon. We played somebody else's copy because like, Oh, I've got my set with whatever the bonus tiles they had. And I'm like, okay, fine. We'll play that. Absolutely. 10 minute heist. This is the last one we're talking about today. Yes. All right. So next we're going to talk about 10 minute heist from daily magic games. Chris, tell us about it. Uh, 10 Minute Heist is a uh, game that takes 15 minutes to play. <laughs> and um, five minutes to set up. Absolutely. It's a simple little game. Uh, you lay out a bunch of square cards to fill, to create a uh, kind of a building, really. Um, and everyone starts at the top corner, and you are running down this building trying to take all the goods. Um, at the end of the game, you score based on certain uh elements um whoever has the most red cards whoever has the most blue or green or whoever has the most three value cards or the most four value cards things like that 
Um, the neat thing is each row maybe has six or seven cards on it. I don't actually remember the exact number, but you can always grab from your row or lower. You can never go up, but you can go down as far as you want. So it kind of, you can either jump ahead of people to try to get better picks, uh, or you can stay behind and try to get more cards. Um, it's a neat little game. Right. So it's set collection. Whoever has the most of given sets is going to get a specific amount of points, not based yep. on what you, you actually collected for that set. So it doesn't do you a lot of good to have gotten gathered all of the green cards. You just need more green cards than anyone else. Yeah. And so it's another great example of sort of measuring what you're trying to go after and you want to diversify your portfolio. Yeah. It's, it's a neat little system. I like it. It's very hard to run away with the game. Um, it's kind of hard to tell who's winning by the time you get to the bottom. So you always are kind of fighting for the lead, even when you don't know where you stand. And it's one of those games that allows you to set it up ahead of time. The beautiful you know, art of all the cool artifacts and stuff are going to attract people's attention. Yeah. And so I recommend it for that reason. And uh, we have played it with the kids here, and they had a lot of fun with it. So it does play with the teens and tweens quite well. Right. And in fact, we could probably set that one up now after we're done with this. All right. So I think that's just as a, once again, a reminder, the games that we're talking about with uh, have been sent to us. Uh, with the exception of Nevermore, they were sent to us for ShushCon. So we got to show them off to a bunch of people. And I don't know when Nevermore, it randomly showed up at some point. I know I didn't buy it. <laughs> uh, it's by the same company, so we thought we would give them an extra little shout. Right. That if you are looking to work with game companies for your libraries, this is a great way to do it. If you want to do reviews and send them into us and say, hey, here's a couple of games that we played and we liked and we want to share because you haven't heard Chris and Donald talk about it, or even if you did and your opinions were different. If you go, hey, you know, I know you guys hate Smash Up, but I love Smash Up and here's why. Because really, I, I do, I hate Smash Up. <laughs> but <laughs> you could think does. I'm wrong. Send in your reviews. We'd be happy to put them in the show. Just make sure you include as much information as you want about where you can be found and who you are. So that you might say, hey, I'm with this library and here's my name and you can come check out our game collection. Do that because what I'm going to say next is, hey, I'm Donald Dennis. I'm at the Wacomonic Branch Library. Come to us. Play our games. Have fun with us. We do a game day pretty much every Saturday. And uh, the last Saturday of the month, we do a long game day. We would love to see you if you're along the Grand Strand at some point. And I'm here with Chris Bell. And Chris has something to say. And this summer, join us for our special summer activities. Uh, bring your kids, sign them up, kind of do rocket things with us, and uh, all kinds of fun activities. 3D printer, hopefully. A laser cutter. Oh, 3D printer bit the dirt hard. Oh, come <laughs> back did. in enough but spaghetti. Ah, so sad. All right. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of the Games and Schools and Libraries podcast. You can find out more about us and the people who create this show over at InverseGenius.com and all of our other wonderful, wonderful shows, including on board games, on RPGs, the Inverse Genius podcast, and the Room Escape Divas. We are also now joined by the Party Gamecast. Hooray! So if you're looking for light, fun, fast games... And even snacks to have while playing games because they do a segment called What the Food? <laughs> and also, we have a couple of streamers with us now, which is Nephilope, who you might remember as Stephanie, previous co-host here on the Games and Schools and Libraries podcast, and our friend 
Lin theory. Not all of that may be work safe because occasionally an explicative when startled by monsters on the internet. <laughs> so, I'm Donald Dennis. I'm Chris Bell. Thank you for listening. Games in Schools and Libraries is produced in association with the Georgetown County Library System. 